You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Direct us, O Lord, in all our doings with thy most gracious favor, and further us with thy continual hope, help, that in all our works begun, continued, and ended in thee, we may glorify thy holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. I would love for you to hold that one sentence of that prayer in your minds that in all of our works begun, continued, and ended in thee, we may glorify thy holy name. Do you hear that? Begun, continued, and ended. That in mind, I want to talk about Andrew Carnegie before we jump to the Galatians text. You all remember Andrew Carnegie from history class, that 19th century, early 20th century tycoon. People love him for some reasons. We hate him for other reasons. He was one of those very rich people who was a philanthropist and gave libraries, etc. He was also someone who probably oppressed more people than he blessed. I'm going to read a selection from his journals and then from his autobiography. First, the journal. And a little bit of a preface to this journal, Andrew Carnegie grew up as a Presbyterian, uh, read Charles Darwin, and realized he could have faith no more. So with that context in mind, here's the entry. I remember that light came as in a flood and all was clear. Not only had I got rid of theology and the supernatural, but I had found the truth. All is well since all grows better became my motto my true source of comfort. Man has risen to the higher forms, and there can be no conceivable end to man's march to perfection. I don't know about you, but I cannot read that entry and maintain a straight face. Carnegie writes this before the onset of World War I. We are in the throes of that late 19th century optimism. Where we go from here is upward. Perfection is within our grasp. When he writes his autobiography, World War I has begun. This selection I'm about to read interacts with the text that I just read, and it goes like this. As I read this, what I had previously written today What a change, the world convulsed by war as never before, men slaying each other like wild beasts. I dare not relinquish all hope. We see within the span of half a lifetime, Carnegie going from optimism to complete despair with that desire that he dare not relinquish all hope. Friends, we who are in Christ, we who have been given the Spirit, do not vacillate like everyone else between the cycles of optimism and despair. Now, when I say we don't, we actually do. We're all caught up in this world like everyone else. And, you know, 10 years ago, we were all optimists. Today, We all seem to be in this pessimistic, despairing mood. 
Will the country stay together? Can anyone get along with anyone else? Is doom right around the corner? What we'll see in Paul's text to the Galatians is neither optimism nor despair. We see that glimmer of hope that Carnegie wished to hold on to. I prayed that prayer that all our works have begun, continued, and end in Christ because as we, we see in what we just saw, World War I was such a shattering moment for people because they really thought that we were these autonomous human agents who if we were told what to do, we would go out and do it. We were liberated from the shackles of divisive religion. Now it was unity, onward and upward, never mind that it didn't really include the poor or people who didn't look like us, but we were onward and upward. And then all that shattered, and all the hopes were thrown out the window. I think we really need to grasp what Paul is doing in Galatians. It's really what's happening in the entire New Testament. We're not told it will be onward and upward to perfection. No, we are told, as Paul says at the beginning of his letter, we are in this present evil age. St. Paul couldn't have even imagined that the empire would become Christianized. St. Paul and the followers of the way are aliens and sojourners. The optimism despair cycle, it doesn't at the end of the day affect them because they're not in the majority. They're not the ones in power. What Paul and the New Testament writers their cosmology, for lack of a better word, sorry for the big word, but it's a, it's a good word, their cosmology is, is very different than the cosmology of the world. What, what they thought was happening was what we see here. And I think we haven't really wrapped our minds around what the New Testament writers were saying. We think of, in the drama of salvation, we think of there being two actors. We think of God and humanity God, the creator, creation, which includes you and me. We have, you know, grown to a place where we're at enmity, but as long as we try our hardest, and by virtue of the cross, we can be put to rights. The New Testament won't really allow us to have a two-actor drama of salvation. We see this very explicitly in Paul, but even the Gospels and the other writers, they have a clear emphasis that there are three actors on the scene. There's God. There's the creation, which includes us. And there's an enemy, a capital E, enemy. When we see sin and death talked about in Paul, Paul is only secondarily writing about lowercase s, sins your sins, and my sins. What Paul is doing, not just in Galatians, but in Romans and elsewhere, he is talking about sin as a power. This present evil age has a Lord, and that Lord 
is the power of sin and death, which is personified in the Satan. We have an enemy who does not want our good, who has enslaved us. This is why, despite our best efforts, despite what should be, we should be able to choose perfection, to be onward and upward. As Paul says in Romans 7, we should be able to do the thing that we want to do and not do the thing that we hate. The New Testament in St. Paul makes clear you and I are not autonomous. Sure, you and I like to talk about this as a product of the Enlightenment, right? Autonomous human reason. We're not in shackles to anything. And this is why you don't have to follow them wherever they go. This is why the systems language of today is really helpful. It's not just you and your personal decisions. We are caught up in a web that we can't break free of. We need someone to break us free of it. The New Testament, what Paul is saying here, when he talks about the flesh, we might as well capitalize flesh here. Flesh here is another word for sin and death. We emphasize, rightly so, that when Paul talks about the flesh, he's not talking about bodies, right? Because we're people who believe that Jesus has a body, a resurrected body. And yes, flesh has to do with the sinful human nature, but really what the main emphasis of what Paul is talking about is that flesh is an enslaving power. It has its grips on you and me, and this is why we're so drawn toward the works of the flesh, sexual immorality, jealousy, anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Paul, who is writing to the Galatians, he's writing to a community that he founded, that he preached his gospel. That community ended up in chaos. There were all kinds of divisions, rivalries, everything that we're reading about. And so these teachers from Jerusalem come in, and they say, the solution to your problem is to go to Sinai, to look to the law of Sinai. Now, brief aside, the Hellenistic teachers of this time have a different understanding of the law than the Old Testament writers do. The Old Testament writers are very clear that God graciously gives us his law, and it's not as if God gives us the law and then takes a step back and says, you're on your own. But in this time, the Hellenistic teachers of his day, and you can find this in the literature of the day if you want to, there's this, the, the, the two ways to choose life or choose death gets morphed not into just a, well, I, I, I should not lie, I should not cheat, I should not kill. It, it turns into this two ways that becomes a two-step dance. God gives us a dance, how we're supposed to dance, how we're supposed to live, and then God takes a step back, and then we're to dance. Again, this kind of autonomous relationship with God. The writers of the Pentateuch don't have this. The writers of the Pentateuch are not so different from what Paul's saying. All of our works are begun, continued, and ended in thee. But what these teachers are saying is submit yourself to Sinai, including the beginning point, 
circumcision. And if you do this, if you choose life, the strife will be no more. All will be well. Paul in this letter is so incensed by this, so angry. If you read Romans, right, he's, he's thankful for the Romans, and he has a more moderate tone. But in Galatians, Paul is angry. Paul has said that these teachers have turned his gospel, the only gospel, into an anti-gospel. He's so strong what he said. He calls it slavery. How does this text begin? For freedom Christ has set us free. Don't submit to a yoke of slavery, the slavery that they're giving you, this two-way, two-step dance. God steps off the scene, and you've got to figure it out now. What Paul is doing here is he is emphasizing that there are powers at war here. The Spirit, namely God, and the flesh, sin, and death. And by virtue of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, the Spirit is in us. We have heard this gospel. We have been baptized. Essentially, the replacement for circumcision. The Spirit is in us. And when we read these fruits of the Spirit that are birthed in us, these are first and foremost the work of the Spirit. And again, these work, this is not an exhaustive list. This is just a list showing how strife is overcome in the community. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc. My friends, when we think about the incarnation, when we think about God becoming human, becoming one of us, and defeating these powers of sin and death, we have to think of it in this three-actor drama our realm, our sphere, the, the present evil age, sin and death, the Satan is the Lord here. In becoming incarnate, think the invasion of God of our present cosmos. As, as cute as it is that Jesus becomes a helpless babe, it's really, the emphasis is not that it's cute. This is the beginning of the rescue effort. It's the beginning of the invasion. It's the beginning of him unshackling us. And this work that he has begun, he will continue and end in us. The metaphor that's overused, but it's a good one, and I love it. It's, I mean, think World War II. Think the D-Day invasion, the storming of the beaches of Normandy. Christ coming, Christ coming into enemy-occupied space. Now, I don't know if this is still true, you historians in the room, but when I was a history major in 2004, the general consensus was that when the Allies stormed the Normandy beaches, it meant that the war was eventually going to end. It meant that the Allies were inevitably going to win. Nevertheless, as we know from, if you watch Band of Brothers, you know your history, the, the battles after Normandy were, were the bloodiest. God in Christ has stormed the Normandies, the Normandy of our cosmos. The end is within sight, and yet the flesh is fighting with everything it's got. The powers of sin and death are not going to go down quietly. 
You and I, while we have been set free by virtue of the Spirit that is in us, we are not autonomous. And the good news that I get from this text in particular, not the extent of it, but the good news I get from this text is that this same Spirit who has been given to us by the hearing of this gospel, by baptism, by ultimately the work of Christ, this Spirit is with us and in our community every step of the way. We're never doing this two-step dance. We're never left to our own devices. Our Lord is in us, working in us, and He's going to complete what He started. And friends, that's good news because sometimes, I don't know about you, but I feel like I've completely backslidden at times, like God really is distant. Like, maybe I'm not doing my part of the two-step dance, and I'm, I'm pretty worthless. But Paul is, don't, don't submit to that yoke. Don't fall back to that. The Spirit is in you. The Spirit is bringing about the fruits. At best, we talk about a dual agency here, right? And the, the emphasis of the agency is God's work and not our own. If we were having Holy Communion, and at nine we did, there's a line in the post-communion prayer which is very similar to the prayer I just said earlier. Do you know what it is? It's about God preparing ahead of time the good works which thou hast prepared for us to walk in. We're never left to our own devices. We're not Thanks be to God, as free as we think, because if we were, we might choose the wrong way. No, God in Christ, the Spirit, is bringing this about in us. And ultimately what this is, is it's a theology of hope, which is neither optimism nor despair. Optimism fails when it's swallowed up in darkness. Hope is found in something beyond human history, beyond our current circumstances with its cycle of optimism and despair. What Paul is saying is that our hope is found in the incarnation of our Lord. Our hope is found in the invasion, the rescue effort, which has been successful. The beaches of Normandy have been stormed. The war, we know who's going to win. But until then, the power of sin and death, the flesh, is at war with the Spirit. The good news is that the work He's begun in us, He will see through to completion. So whether you're at a high where you really feel like the fruit of the Spirit is being birthed in you, or whether you're at a place where you're really dry, Trust in the Spirit. Trust in the one who is birthing this fruit in us, who will see our communities through chaos onto the other side, who will see us through to a day when we will freely choose the good because we will be completely free from these powers that oppress. My friends, this is good news. We're never alone. And what God 
in Christ through the Spirit is doing in us, he will see it through to completion. So in the highs in life and in the lows, whether in recession or a bull market, we don't need to be optimistic or pessimistic. We are those with hope because we know the ending through Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.